hundred and, what was it, 120, 125, I don't remember what the number was. Anyway, we had, we had 108 or something like that, and so I shaved my beard almost all the way off, or Kenan shaved my beard almost all the way, that was to beard or not to beard. But we've kind of had some goals, and I, we've got some goals for this year. I just want to share, but then I want to talk about something, something around those goals. So one of the goals that, that I would like to see happen is, and we've, we've got some, some people praying for this already, is that we baptize 50 people over the course of this year. Um, I was going to not shave my beard at all until we baptized 50 people, um, but my wife was not on board with that, so um, I did shave my beard. Mm-hmm. I thought if the Red Sox can do it, then I ought to be able to do it, right? And then do like a fundraiser, you know, charge a penny for every hair when you shave it off at the end. It was a joke. (laughs) I'm in a weird mood this morning, I'll just warn you. But um, I did shave the beard, but... Would love to see 50 people baptized. So we're going to have a baptism service at the end of the month, and we're going to have several of them over the course of this year. We have some people who are, who are already ready to get baptized, and so we're going to start chipping away at that goal. Uh, we had a couple of people baptized last year, and I uh, just want to see God do some great things, changing lives. Um, and if you've, if you've been around, you've heard this, 420 by 420. I was, I was praying for a while when I, when I first took on this job, and uh, God just put this number in my mind. I don't really know where it came from, but the number of 420 by Easter of 2014, and then we, I started digging into it. Easter of 2014 is on April 20th, and so is 420 by 420. And um, one verse I hope that you, will, that you will look at and read and memorize is Mark 420, and I want to go there. If you have your Bibles, by the way, one of my goals for us this year, one of my hopes for us this year is that we all become... Uh, people who have our own Bibles. I would love for us to start bringing Bibles to church. If you don't have a Bible, we can, we've got some out at the, uh, at the information desk, and we can give you a Bible on your way out of here. But uh, you've, got, you've got the app on your phone. I think that's good, but it's even better when you have a Bible in your hands, and you can mark it up and look at it. But Mark 4.20 says this, Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Let me go back to verse 13, give you just a little bit of context for this. Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? He had, just, he had just told them a parable of the sower. How then will you understand any parable? Verse 14 of Mark chapter 4. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Verse 16, others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Verse 18, still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. And so I'm praying for us that, that we don't just become people who are shooting for a number goal, that we don't just, you know, we go out and do whatever we can to try and get, you know, 420 people here or whatever, whatever the number is, but that we become, become a church who is seeking that verse as our goal for all of the goals that we put with it. So, so that we're not just trying to fill this place with people, but that we're actually trying to fill this place with lives 
that are being changed. We want, we want to do all of the work that we need to beforehand so that when people come and they hear the gospel, when they hear about Jesus, when they hear about Jesus for the first time maybe, that, that we've already done some work in their lives and in their hearts beforehand that they're ready to hear that gospel and that the seed of the gospel falls on good soil and that it, sprout, it springs up and grows and produces 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. That's our dream. So, so wouldn't it be great... Anyone have a calculator? Let's get a few people to pull out your calculator. Multiply 420 by 30. Somebody multiply 420 by 60. And somebody multiply 420 by 100. And when you have the answer for the 30, shout it out. What's 420 by 30? 12,600. What's 420 times 60? 25,200. What's 420 times 100, 42,000. Wouldn't that be a great problem to have if we planted the gospel and, and it, the, the seed of the gospel sprung up in people so that it, that it produced 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown, that 30 times 420, 12,000 people received Christ because of what was happening at this church, or, or 25,000, or 42,000. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to be a part of? Um, one goal that I haven't shared a whole lot, um, is be- and that's because it's crazy, and you probably look at me with, with a crazy stink eye when you hear it, but um, one of the goals that, that I've had since we started is I want to be a part of a move of God. I don't just want to be a part of a growing church. I don't just want to be a part of, of a normal church, but I want to be a part of something that only God can take the credit for. I don't want to just come in and, and work and strategize and figure out ways to get a few more people here every week, but I want to be a part of a move of God where God is actually doing something amazing and outstanding something that there is no way you can explain on paper. And so um, one of the goals that I've had for us as a church is that we would be able to, through this direct church, make one million disciples. Now, there are a lot of churches out there that, that have goals of, of, you know, reaching a couple hundred people. A lot of churches have goals of reaching a couple thousand people, a hundred thousand people. I know a couple of churches over on the East Coast that have that goal. Um, but I think, I think a million disciples is crazy enough that God would have to do something um, <laughs> to see it happen. And so that's, that's one of the reasons we are so intent on, on the multiply groups that, that uh, we've talked about over the past few months. And if you're not in one of those groups, I would, I would encourage you to, to put us, give us a note on the card, on the connection card today, so that we can make sure we get you in a group. If you're in one of those groups, now there are no more excuses. The holidays are over. Um, it's time to ramp up and get going through, through that book and, and making disciples. We want to actually make disciples. We don't want to do like a lot of churches do where, where they say they're making disciples, but then there's no intention behind it. We want to actually put as much intention as we possibly can into making the kind of disciple that Jesus wants us to make, and then we go out and make disciples who make disciples. So um, if that's going to happen, we're all going to have to get on board. We're going to have to dig in. We're going to have to all do some work. Um, but, but these aren't just numbers that, that I just want to reach. You know, it's, not, it's not just like I have a dream for us to just reach a certain number. And I want to ask you some questions um, to kind of set up my point there. What are, what are the things that are going to be able to help us accomplish those goals? What do you think are the things that would be able to help us accomplish those goals?
50 baptisms this year, 420 by 420, Mark 420. Um, and yes, I know it's a drug reference, and I don't care. I think it'd be awesome if we had a lot of potheads here on, uh, on Easter. So I, I don't have any problem with that. <laughs> um, but um, a lot of the things that come to mind when, we, when we're thinking about goals are, are strategies, right? Are ways that we want to, to implement them. So, so we think of things like advertising. I'm not opposed to advertising, but, but we think of things like advertising or that there's some specific crazy strategy that we have to implement. Maybe there's a pyramid scheme that we could all, all take on and that if we, if we all bought into the real pyramid scheme... Um, uh, maybe a, a buy one, get one free sale at Mocha 6-8. You buy one and get one free for someone that you bring. You know, we could probably come up with a thousand different ideas um, of ways that, we could, ways that we could accomplish these goals and get numbers here. But, but I don't want us to just accomplish a goal. I don't want to just set out to reach a number and then, and then reach the number and that's it. And if we simply set out to achieve a goal by a date, I don't see a point. If we simply set out to go after a certain number of people, if we simply set out to go after a certain number of baptisms, baptism is a little bit different, but, but if, we're just, if we're just going after numbers, I don't see a point. I don't have a problem with numbers. I think numbers are a good thing, and we'll talk a lot about numbers uh, over the course of this year. But there's, uh, the reason I say that I don't think going after a certain goal is, is the most important thing is because of some of the things that I've experienced. We had um, a friend day at our church growing up, and we didn't have it every year, but a lot of the years we'd have, you know, bring a friend to church day. And so we'd bring a friend to church and uh, I think we were, they were supposed to hear the gospel. I can't remember if they actually heard the gospel. I just remember we would double in size for that one Sunday, but then the very next Sunday we'd go right back to exactly who we were the week before. We could reach a goal of, you know, 300 or whatever the goal was for that, for that particular year. But then the very next week we'd go right back to the size that we were. We never actually reached any people. There were a lot of people there on that day, but none of them came back. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to hit a number and then the very next week go right back to where we were. Because the goal of the numbers is not just to hit a number. The goal of the numbers is to see people's lives change. And so we want to see a lot of people have their lives actually impacted and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, so that's what we want to have as a goal. That's what we want to have be the thing that drives us. We want to have this desire that's within us that is, is driving us to see people turn their lives around, to go from the direction they're heading in to actually 180 degrees and follow after Jesus Christ with all of their hearts. People's lives won't be changed by hitting a goal on a day. People's lives won't be changed just because they come here for one Sunday. They'll be changed because of the relationships that we have with them, because of the influence that we have in their lives, because we are living a light in front of them, because we, we are doing what Jesus told us to do and being the light of his love. So when you hear numbers, I hope you don't get, you know, get iffy or ishy about the numbers, but I hope instead you hear that we want to reach people and change people's lives, that we want to actually help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We want to reach people who are far from God, who, who haven't even thought about God, and, and, and turn them into disciples who do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. Kind of another goal that I have for us this year is that, is that we become known, not just as a church, but as individuals within the church, as people who live by faith and not by fear. Um, I don't know about you, but you know when it always comes to, to New Year's time and it comes time to start doing you know, New Year's resolutions, I get a little bit scared, right? Because, 
because when you do a resolution, what, what almost always happens is you fail at it, right? And so, so instead of then doing New Year's resolutions at all, I just back away from the whole concept altogether. Don't do a New Year's resolution and just let the fear of trying something and failing keep me from doing something or anything at all. Um, I'm not, I'm not making a big case for New Year's resolutions, but just the, the idea in general. Maybe, some, maybe you've felt that way before. You've, you've wanted to try something. You've wanted to go after something. You wanted to go in a certain direction. You've wanted to pursue something, but, but there's been a fear that keeps you from going after it. Like, like maybe, maybe you want to go after a certain career, and in order to get a certain career, you're going to have to go to school, or you're going to have to, to go and apprentice somebody. You're going to have to go put in some time and some effort, and you're, you're not sure if that's, if that's really where you want to go. And so the fear of, of whether you're, you're sure about the, the end keeps you from starting anything, right? Or like you're afraid that, uh, that um, if you decide to lose weight, you'll never be able to eat potato chips again. And so, so the fear... I like potato chips. I also like Doritos and Fritos, Krispy Kremes, the steak, chocolate. I knew I was preaching to somebody. <laughs> but we let the fear kind of keep us from going after what, whatever it is. And um, I've, been in, I've been in church long enough to know that fear is a driving force behind why we do or don't do things in the church. We get afraid that something might fail, and so we don't try anything new. And so, so you'll find a lot of churches where, where they're not trying anything new. They're just relying on the old habits, the old patterns, the old ways of doing things, and they never try anything new. They never throw anything new into the equation, and so, so they never actually get anything new accomplished because they're just trying to use the old systems and the old structures that worked for a time but aren't working anymore. And so I hope for that us as a church, we can maybe model for you what it looks like to take some risks and try some new things and, and go and, and take a step of faith and see what happens. And if it fails, oh, well, like if it doesn't work, it's not that big of a deal. We tried something and we failed. You know, I think, I think we build up this idea of failure way too much that, that if, we, if we fail at something, that means we are a failure as a person. But I think if we don't fail at anything, we're not trying anything. And so I hope that we become known as a church that tries things and that we're willing to take risks, risks even if they don't pay off. And I hope that us as individuals also become people who are willing to take risks and try things even if we might fail at something. I think we should just forget about the whole idea of failure and stop worrying about it altogether and just move forward in faith and see what God does with that. I also hope that we live our lives this year in such a way that people are drawn to Christ in us. And this is where I want to focus the rest of our time this morning. I hope that we live our lives in such a way that people are drawn to Christ in us. I hope that as you walk through this year that, that, that you live your life in such a way that people are drawn to Christ in you. I hope that as I walk through this year that people are drawn to Christ in me, that, that they aren't drawn or attracted to me or my personality or whatever charisma I have, that they're not attracted to, to my, my style of preaching, they're not attracted to whatever it is they could be attracted to, but I hope that people, for the most part, for, for every one of us as, we, as much as we possibly can, that people are attracted to Christ in us because that's the hope of glory, that's the hope of future, is that Christ in us is what shines, not, not ourselves. And, and I think if we stop and think for just a second about, about the idea of us trying to shine Christ's light as opposed to allowing Christ to shine his light in us, we will understand how foolish we can be by trying to shine for Jesus. Let me explain that a little bit. Um, it's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. 
There is no light that we can shine. There is no light that we can produce that will shine anywhere near as bright as the light of Christ in us. We cannot do enough good deeds. We cannot do enough good things. We cannot think enough good thoughts. We cannot live a good enough life to shine a light that draws people to God. There is nothing about about who we are as fallen people that can draw people to Christ. It has to be Christ's power at work in us. It has to be Christ's power at work in our lives, changing us and molding us into who he wants us to be so that the outworking of the Spirit's work in our lives are the things that, what, are the things that other people see. It's not, it's not the things that we are trying to do to look good, but they're seeing our life change. And because they see our life change, they see Christ in us changing us, they want to know what that is. So I think for a long time, we, we as the church in America have been caught up on this idea of we have to, we have to put on the front, we have to put on the, the facade, we have to put on the mask of Christianity, we have to pretend that we're a certain way, we have to pretend that we are doing all the right things, we have to pretend that we, that we come to church on Sundays and we, and we pretend everything is okay and then we go back for the other six days of the week and live a messed up, wrecked, disastrous life, but then we come back every Sunday and pretend like everything is normal, everything's fine. And what I'm saying is that we cannot live a perfect enough life to shine for Christ. We cannot cannot do enough right. We cannot do enough good to be the light of Jesus Christ. The only way, the only way for us to shine Jesus' light is for Jesus to be in us, empowering us, for the Holy Spirit to be at work in us in a fresh and a new and a, a living way every single day, every single week, every single month, every single year, that it is Jesus at work through us. You see, I, I think we've gotten, we've gotten confused. We've, we think if we do the Ten Commandments, if we, if we do this checklist, if we do this list of rules, and if we do these certain things, then, then at the end of the day, we can call ourselves good enough, and we have shown But it's not our righteousness, it's not our ability to do something, it's not our ability to live up to a certain standard that that moves the gospel forward. If it was us, if it was our ability, if it was our rules, the movement of Christianity would have died thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago, they would have just been killed off and it it would have been done with. But see, it's a, it's a Holy Spirit at work in us. That's why it's so important for us to learn what it means to walk humbly. So Micah 6, 8 is, is the verse that we've, we've decided to focus our church around. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly? Do justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly. And you cannot think you're shining the light because of the good work that you're doing and walk humbly at the same time. Did you hear that? You, you cannot think you're shining the light and walk humbly at the same time. We cannot shine the light and think that we're shining the light of Jesus Christ and still walk humbly. We have to pull ourselves out of the equation to the point where it is Jesus who shines through us. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, this is the old NIV. I'm sorry if you have the new NIV. 
I'm stuck on the old NIV in this one. It's like when you learn, when you memorize a passage in Sunday school in the King James Version and you just always quote it in the King James Version. I learned this one in the NIV and it's always going to come out in NIV. So if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Look at that. There, there are all these qualifications. If you have any encouragement from being what? United with Christ. If any comfort from what? His love, if any fellowship with who? The Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one, and spirit and purpose. Verse 3 and 4 is where we're going to focus in today. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let me just finish it off because it's such a great poetic passage. We'll come back and focus on verse 3 and 4. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He was God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is something amazing in the life of Jesus Christ. Obviously, it's amazing because he was the Son of God. He himself was God. He was both God and man at the same time. But when you look at this passage and when you look at the life of Jesus Christ and you think about anyone on the planet who could have bragged about being able to shine the light, it most certainly would have had to be the Son of God, right? But yet he made himself nothing. He took the nature of a servant. How many of you would be willing to take the nature of a servant for someone else? He was made in human likeness. God was found in appearance as a man. The God who formed and created and shaped the universe was found in appearance as a man, and he humbled himself. The God who was there when when the earth was formed, the God who was there when you were formed in your mother's room, the God who was there when when all of us who are here, who are in existence, were formed, and and who was there when, when everyone was formed, the God who was there for all of creation, all created things, that God humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, I think we get this messed up picture of Jesus in our head, right? Because we allow Hollywood to define what Jesus looks like. And I think it's a disaster to allow Hollywood or any, any kind of media outlet to let you, to define for you what Jesus looks like or how he is. 
to, to let a director or a producer who has coached an actor how to play the part of Jesus, to let that person decide how Jesus should look or be in your mind is a disaster. And we should never, ever, ever allow ourselves to be fooled into thinking that, that they have a desire to portray Jesus as Jesus really was. Because what always happens, now I, I have a confession to make. I've never watched The Passion. Um, I've, had some, have, I've had people loan it to me to watch. Um, our church that we were working at at the time did some screenings of it, um, and we didn't go to them. I, I don't know why I don't want to watch it. I, I, I have a couple of reasons, but I just, I just have never watched it. Um, so I can't talk about that movie, but I can talk about all the other Jesus movies that have been made, because there's a lot of them. But all the movies that I've seen, they, they portray Jesus kind of, he's, he's supposed to come across humble, right? But, but he kind of walks, you know, with his chest puffed up and, and like he's kind of gliding across the surface of the earth. And he's got this robe, so you can't really tell if he has feet or not. But like, um, and so he just kind of walks in this way and, and he's supposed to be portraying this humble, but humble guy, but, but he's always, you know, correcting everyone, right? He's always correcting everyone around and, and it's always, always kind of comes across a little proud, a little arrogant, like, like when, he's, when he's correcting one of the disciples, you know, it's like, now, Philip... And we get this idea of, of Jesus as, as just kind of being this, to me it looks like he's full of himself, the way they portray Jesus in the movies. It, it looks like, like, like he's puffed up with pride, and, and even though he may not be walking around declaring himself as king in the movies, if the movies could do that, they probably would. But because that's not in the story, they don't. Now, I know probably I'm making some of you mad because you're big fans of The Passion and stuff. Like, I haven't watched that, so I'm not tearing that one down. I'm just tearing down all the other ones. <laughs> but Jesus, I think, was so much different from, from reading through the Gospels, from reading through, through uh, the Bible and hearing you know, people talk about and describe Jesus. I don't, I just, I don't get any of that about who Jesus was. Sure, he corrected people. Sure, he challenged people. Sure, he, he did some things that, that may have come across as, as arrogant or proud. But, but when, you know, when you're God and you really know things, um, you have a right to be able to say things and to speak truth. But even though he was the creator of the universe, even though he was the king of kings and lord of lords, he did not walk around saying, I'm the king of kings, worship me. He didn't walk around, you know, forcing his disciples to, to, to walk and follow him in a bowed down position. He didn't force people that, that, were, called, that were his followers that wanted to become his disciples to, 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 to chant certain phrases and to, to recite of his greatness like, like other kings would have. He didn't do any of the things that, that, a, that a normal king would do. And, and that's one of the reasons I want to spend a lot of time in John is focusing in on what Jesus really did. But you know what I think would happen if any of us was in that situation? I mean, if you were the king of kings and lord of lords, if you were Jesus, if you were the son of the most high, if you were God, um, and you were walking among other people, wouldn't you be like, king, right? Like, 
You had, the, you had the, the power to make angels sing your praises, so like there would always be a choir of angels following you around, ah, right? Everywhere you walked, every, every room you, you entered, you'd be like, I'm the king of kings, I'm the lord of lords, I'm the creator of the universe, here I am, be amazed, right? That's what we would do. Maybe not, maybe that's just me, but that's what I would do, probably. The reason I think we would do that is because um, I have kids, and I was a kid once, and um, I don't know if you, if, you, if you know this about kids, but when you have kids, they learn certain words because you say them, and then others, they just seem to learn all on their own, and, and we have some amazing kids. You know, Hannah has, has always been a great kid, and, and Henry and, and, and Harry, you know, they're, they're just, they're great, they're great young men, going to grow up to be great men of God, and, um, and Harper, who is just, you know, a bundle of energy, just full of life. They're just all, the, they're just they're amazing, amazing, amazing little kids, and I can never say enough good about them, and I just want to brag about them a, a little bit, because, because my kids were amazing, and, and my kids were different than, than I was, than you were, because when, when they were growing up, they didn't, they didn't do like most kids do and learn that one word. They learned the word yours. They didn't say mine. They didn't grab toys out of other kids' hands and scream so you could hear it in the sanctuary. They said yours, here. No, they didn't. Every single one of our kids learned the word mine without us teaching them the word mine. They learned to grab a toy from another kid and say mine. They learned to grab onto a toy and to go flying across the room as they saw one of their brothers or sisters going after the same toy. And even though they weren't playing with the toy, they knew they had to get to that toy first and claim their rights to it because it was their toy. It was mine, right? And, you know, we do the same thing. We just, don't, we just don't go flying across the room unless we're going after a PlayStation 4 or the new Xbox um, or it's Black Friday. We don't do any of those same things because we've grown up and matured. But, um, but we as people, we, we go after mine and we live in a world where mine, I have to get mine. That's the thing that drives us is me. And that's the reason I think that we would do what Jesus didn't do if we had all of the power and all of the authority that Jesus had. And that's what makes it so amazing to look at the life of Jesus Christ and to see how humbly he walked, to see how obedient he was to the Father, and to see the kind of sacrifice he made. So I think it's very important that we notice the, that we notice the illustration and the declaration in this passage. Now, uh, Philippians chapter 2, it kind of starts off with a declaration. He, Paul is declaring what he wants them to do, but then, but then he illustrates it. He uses the illustration of Jesus Christ, which there's no better illustration to use besides Jesus. So, so he says very clearly in, in chapter 2, here's what I want you to do. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any uh, tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. So here's the declaration. Being like-minded, have the same love, be one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So there's the declaration. There's what Paul is telling us he wants us to do. And then he found the perfect example, the, fir- the perfect illustration to, to put to his declaration. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. 
if he had said nothing else, that would be all that he needed to say to be able to illustrate his passage. Your, your attitude should be the same as that, of, as that of Christ Jesus. So my hope, my prayer, my goal for us this year as we, as we move into a new year is, 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 like I said, is that we will be a church that lives our lives in such a way that people are drawn to Christ in us. That we, that, that we don't live this year, that we don't go through this year trying to, to every day be perfect. That we don't go through this year trying every day to live out the Ten Commandments to perfection. That we don't go through this year trying to live out all the things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount to perfection. That our goal isn't to, to achieve a certain set of to-dos. But I hope that we become a people who, who, if we don't get anything else right, if we don't make any other strides, if we don't go in any other direction, but that we become a church, we become known as a people who are, with all of our might, with all of our strength, with everything that we are, we are trying to adopt the attitude of Christ Jesus. We will be in, a, in an amazing place by the end of this year. If we do nothing else, if, if, we, if, we, if we fail at everything, if we try a thousand things and we fail at them all, but we, but we try with all of our might to, to have an attitude that is like Christ Jesus, then Christ will be glorified in this place throughout this entire year. And my goal in, in saying these numbers, my goal in, in, in having goals is not to be able to build a big organization, to be able to make a name for myself or for this church. But my goal in all of this is that we glorify Jesus, is that we bring glory to the one who saved us. Because verse 9, therefore, because of what Jesus Christ did, because of the kind of life he lived, because of who he was, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Because of the kind of life that Jesus lived, therefore, because of who he was, because of how he walked on this earth, there, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that he is Lord of the glory of God the Father. That's my dream. That's my, that's my prayer for us this year is that, that we just bring more glory to God. That we, as people who are here, that we, we start to every day live lives that are, that are less full of ourselves, less full of me, less, less me-centric, and that every day we stop focusing on, on what we want and who we want and, and what we want to be, and we start focusing more and more every day on who God is and what he wants for our lives. That we, that we spend more day emptying ourselves of who we are and filling ourselves up with God. That we, that, we stop, that we stop allowing the world to determine who we want to be and who we should be and how we should be and how we should act and how we should live. That we stop allowing people who are outside of the faith to determine the kind of people that we are. That we just decide we're going to go to the Bible, we're going to let Jesus tell us who we should be, and we're going to do what we should be according to what Jesus said and how he lived. And I think as we do that, as we, as we live those kind of lives, people will, without a doubt, be drawn to Jesus. If we live that kind of life, if we live a selfless life, people will be drawn to Jesus. You want to know how I know? Because it's totally counter-cultural. It goes against everything that we get taught in our culture. It goes against everything that we see out in the media. Because everything in the media is about me. Everything in the media is about you. Everything in the media is about 
get your this. You deserve this. You deserve that. And so in a world where you deserve is number one, somebody who comes along and says, no, I don't deserve is going to stand out. Someone who comes along and lives humbly and empties themselves of themselves and, and seeks to live a life that's full of God is going to stand out. And people will be drawn to Jesus and us. And that's my prayer for us this year. I think if we do that, if we live that kind of life, we'll see Jesus show up in amazing ways this year. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for the work that you've already done in this, in this place, in this church, in this community of believers. I thank you for, for the way that you've shown up here in this last year. None of us are perfect. None of us will ever be able to live a perfect life. None of us will ever be able to meet up and live up to the standards that you've given to us. So we fail every day at living up to who you've called us to be. And still you call us your beloved. Still you call us your chosen one. Still you sent your son to die in our place. I don't know how we could not be amazed by that God. I don't know how we could not be amazed by that sacrifice. Father, as we as a community go forward this year, I pray that you would give us the power through your Holy Spirit to live the kind of life that you've called us to live, that you would give us the power through, through spirit-empowered lives to go out and be emptied of ourselves and to live lives that are full of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would, we would not get caught up on, on making a name for ourselves, that we would not get caught up on positions or power, that we would not be seeking things that, that uh, puff up our ego, that we would not be seeking things that make us feel good about ourselves, but that, that our motivation, that, that our desire this year would be that we make you known, that we, that we seek to make you the number one priority in our lives, in our families' lives, in our churches' lives, in our communities' lives, in the lives of our 8 to 15, in the lives of every life we touch. I pray that, that we would seek to make you known, to seek to make you the first thing, seek to make you the center. So Father, as we, as we close in some worship, as we, as we take a few minutes and, and just worship you for the amazing gift that you are to us, I pray that you would help us to, to empty ourselves of who we are and what we want to be and to seek to be full of you as we leave today, to go out into the community, into our families, and into our lives, and to live lives that are full of Jesus Christ, to live lives that are filled up with the Spirit of Jesus throughout this week, that we may see people drawn to you in us.